All right, let's look at what we're looking at here today. We're going to go through, finish up our section on our walk towards unity, and we're going to look at verses 7 through 16 today. We're in Lesson 10. And I want you to notice with me, first of all, there were some gifts given. He, you know, last week, remember, he urged us to have certain attitudes because of what Jesus has done for us. He urged us to strive towards unity and so forth. And so now he's going to talk about the preservation of that unity, which we see in verses 7 through 11. So I want you to notice with me, but here's what, here's what he says. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive, and he gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So let's talk about the preservation of, of the unity as we talk about the distribution of gifts. First of all, each one of us was given gifts of grace. Here's what I want you to understand. We really need to kill a mentality. The mentality was, for the longest time, that only a certain select few do ministry in the church. Only a certain select few do work in a church. So, of course, it's the preacher. You know, he should be doing everything. Evangelist, teacher, counselor. I mean, he should be doing everything. That's the attitude we used to have, especially in our Baptist churches. And then, of course, you had your, your deacons or elders or trustees. Of course, they were elected to do work. And then you've got your Sunday school teachers and, and nursery workers, and, and they volunteered to do it. And then there's the rest of us who are enjoying the fruit of their labor. And, and really what's going on there is it's like an 80-20 principle. 80% of the work is done by 20% of the people. And 80% of the people are enjoying what the 20% are doing. But that's not a biblical model. That's not what the Bible is telling us here. In fact, the Bible is telling us that to each one of us, that is, every one of you who is a believer in Jesus Christ, He gave gifts of grace. He gave you a spiritual gift to be used for the benefit of everybody else in the church. In fact, a good parallel passage, if you want to look at it later, is... 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. Write that down as a reference where he says basically the same thing, that the Holy Spirit gifts us for the benefit of everybody else. So he's giving gifts to each one of us here. Now here's the thing I want you to see. Those gifts were given to us as Christ determined. So He's given us gifts, but here's what I want you to understand. It's really amazing. Jesus, in his determination, decides to give each of us different gifts. So I, I really believe that one of the gifts that he has given me is teaching. Because I know what I was like before I got saved. I mean, you may not believe this, but I didn't get up and do public speaking before I got saved. Whenever I had to do a report in school, it's like, forget that, I'm not doing that. 
I'll take the F. Do you know what I'm saying? I mean, that, and so, I mean, I, I was not that kind of guy. And the ability to speak is, I believe, given to me by God. It's not for me. Because I'm naturally, here's what you guys got to realize, I'm naturally an introvert. You understand what an introvert is? I don't like people. No, that's not true. I mean, I don't like, I don't feed off, some people, extroverts, feed off of the energy of being around people. Here's, there's a reason why I do a power nap on Sunday. Because when I leave here, about 1 o'clock, if you've ever had lunch with me after church, you'll start seeing me shut down. And, 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 and I'm zoning, and I'm, and I'm almost falling asleep. Because it, it, it zaps the energy out of me. Literally, folks, it takes the energy right out of me to do what I'm doing right now with you folks. Because my natural bent isn't towards doing this. I believe it's a gift. Now, some of you would say, well, I'm glad it's your gift, because that is not my gift. And you're not a teacher. But I do know some of your gifts. I know some individuals here. I won't mention names. But I know their gifts are service. They do things behind the scenes. I know some people who gifts their gifts are giving. Did you understand? I know some folks here who their gifts are encouragement. There are note writers. I'm saying they're the ones who drop a note. See, every one of you has a gift. It is not the positions in the church that are important. It's the people who are sitting in the pew that are important. And Christ has determined to give every one of you a gift to use for the benefit of everyone else. For the benefit of everyone else. So that everybody else benefits. That's the whole purpose. That's the whole purpose. So he's given these gifts to you and I. And he calls them gifts of grace. It's gifts that you and I don't deserve. You understand that? They're gifts that you and I don't deserve. Now here's the basis for why he gives the gifts. If you look with me at verse 8, it writes, he's quoting a passage here, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now here's why Jesus determined to do this. He's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18. And, and here's what's going on. It's a victor's gift. When Christ ascended to heaven, he triumphed over his enemies. He triumphed over his enemies. When he ascended to heaven, he triumphed over his enemies. Let's stop for a moment. Who are his enemies, folks? Anybody know who his enemies are? Okay, unsaved, and you said, or Satan. How about both? His enemies are Satan and his demonic hosts, the forces of evil, but they're also the wicked. Now, who are the wicked? The wicked are the unsaved. And so what he's saying here is that when Christ ascended to heaven, he triumphed over his enemies. He had the victory over his enemies. I mean, think about it. One day, maybe it's already taken place. Think about Pilate and Ananias and Caiaphas and all the people who mocked Jesus, the Roman soldiers and stuff. What's the look on their face when they stand before Jesus? Do you know what I'm saying? 
What's the look on their face? Yeah, so uh, Gene said fear. I think terror. In fact, isn't that what Paul calls that day? Paul, the Apostle Paul calls it the day of terror. The day of terror. Now, here's the other thing. As the victor, Christ gave gifts to his people. Let's look at what it says, verse 8. He led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So as the victor, he gave gifts to his people. Now what Paul is doing there, he's using an illustration from his day. It's not, not true for us today in our culture, but in their culture, this is what happened. Whenever, picture a Roman army, whenever a Roman army would go in and let's say they besieged a city, and then after a few months or a year, they would take the city, kill everybody there, maybe capture some slaves. They would then take all the stuff that was there. All the fabric and, you know, and all the cloth, all the nice clothes, the, everything. They would take literally everything. They would take all the animals that were still alive, probably captured them already outside, the cattle and everything. And then here's what they would do. That Roman legion then would go back to Rome. And the commander of the legion at the front, and they would parade through Rome, and they would then parade through everything they captured. You know, there goes the cart of all the gold. There goes all the silver. There's all the bronze that they took, you know. And then all the slaves would be brought in. And then and all, everything it would be a parade. And it was a mocking thing for those who were defeated, but for the victor... This is what he's saying when he said he led captivity captive. For the victor then, what they would do, the Roman custom would be, they then would share all the stuff they'd stolen with the populace. Everybody would benefit from the victory. Everybody would get something. He gave gifts. He gave gifts to the populace. Now, if you're, you're the commander of the army, how popular are you going to be with the people? Real popular. He just made you a little bit more. I mean, even if you just got a little gold coin and you didn't have anything before, boy, I'm okay. You know, and that's why a lot of times the Roman generals ended up being what emperors later on, folks. Okay. So this was their. This is, so Paul's using this analogy and saying Jesus is doing the same thing. He's led captivity captive. He's ascended on high. He's the victor, and he's given what? Gifts to you and I. That's what he's done. Isn't that awesome? You know, he, the gifts are because of the victory that he's won. Now, let's go on for a second here. Let's look here. He's going to explain what ascended and descended means in verse 9. Now, this he ascended. What does it mean that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? Now, here's what he's saying. He explains that by descent, he means that Christ came to earth. Now, some people take this to mean that he went down to hell and preached in hell to the people who were there. I, I think that is a wrong interpretation. First of all, Jesus doesn't need to go to hell to preach to them. If they're in hell, they already know what's going on. Do you understand? They already know their condemnation. This is a very poor interpretation of this passage. Rather... When it talks about that he descended to the lower parts, he's talking about descending from heaven down to where? Here, earth. 
And the ministry of preaching was his ministry among us. What we've been calling the earth walk. Now, his ascension we see in verse 10, and he who ascended, Paul explains that Christ ascended on high to a place of glory and honor. That's talking about his ascension. We see that in the book of Acts, where he ascended on high, promised us he would return. Acts chapter 1. Now, verse 11 is probably the most interesting verse that I think you need to be aware of because he's going to list some gifts that were given. And, and, and this is an interesting passage of gifts because usually in other passages of gifts, he talks about the gift of teaching or the gift of healing and stuff. Here, he's going to talk about specific types of people that were given. So I want you to notice verse 11. Look at what it says. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and teachers. Here's what I want you to see. Christ himself gave certain gifts to each believer in the church. So he gave certain gifts to each believer in the church. The gifts were specific to the benefit of the church itself. So these gifts were specific to the benefit of the church itself. If you look at these gifts that are listed there, there is a reason why these gifts exist. And they were for certain for the benefit of the church, and we'll talk about that in a moment. These gifts were to serve a specific function within the church. These gifts were to serve a specific function within the church. So when you look at verse 11, here's what he's saying. He gave some to be apostles. Now, who were those apostles? Well, it's the 12 plus Paul, isn't it? What was their role? What was their specific function to the church? Yeah, they started the church. They also laid down the teaching of the apostles, which we now have in our epistles, which we now have in the, in, in the New Testament. He, he, they specifically were the ones who founded the church and grounded it. Is there a need for an apostle today? No. No. Okay. Prophets. What, what, what's a specific role for a prophet? Anybody know? Well, not just foretelling the future. A prophet in its literal sense is one who foretells the truth. Foretells the truth. He reveals the word of the Lord. And there is a sense in which we don't have offices today of that, but there is a sense in which there are some people who still have a prophetic word for the church. All right, he goes on and talks about evangelists. What was their role? Evangelism, spreading of the gospel. Is that still needed today? Yep, there are some people who are like that. Then, of course, he talks about pastors and teachers. Now, here's what I want you to see is that each of these gifts were given for the specific reason of benefiting the church, period. Now, we're going to talk about what those, what that intention was for those gifts. If you look with me at verses 12 through 16. Look with me. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to unity of faith, of the perfect, of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried away by every wind of doctrine, by trickery of men, in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, and from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Okay, so let's, let's take everything he's saying there. He's going to basically tell us why these gifts were given. Why these gifts were given. And then notice, one of the gifts is the, the office I hold. Why these gifts were given. Number one, they are to equip believers. My role as pastor, just be honest with you, is to equip you. Is to equip you. Now let me explain to you what that word equip means, because when we think of equip, we think of, maybe we think of some war movie we saw where they go to the supply room and get all their supplies and get ready to go out to battle. That's in a way equip, but I want you to understand there's a little bit more specific reason of what equip is. My role is to equip you. Here's, here's what it is. The word equip means to set in order as one would set a broken bone. How many of you have broken a bone? Or two? Or twenty? You know? And how many remember the doctor setting it? It wasn't a real joyful experience, was it? No, not at all. Okay? This is what the role of a pastor is. A pastor is to equip the believers in a church. He's really to set them like he would set a broken bone. Now, I was just thinking about this a couple of days ago. I was meditating on this as I was getting ready for this message, for this lesson. Really, that's what a pastor does. He equips you to set in order our broken lives. You think about that for a moment. Because our lives are broken, aren't they? We are all product of our experiences, negative or whatever. All of us here, can I help you? Write this down. Write this. I'm dysfunctional. You need to write that down. Don't put George's dysfunctional. Write, I'm dysfunctional. Every one of you is dysfunctional. If you don't think so, ask your spouse. Okay? Every one of us here. Every one of us is broken. We say, I came from a good family. I don't care how good your family is. It wasn't that good. Did you understand what I'm saying? And every one of us here has some sort of dysfunction. We're all broken. And really, Jesus gives gifts to the church. Do you understand? That's what the word means. He gave some to be apostles and all of this. What? For the equipping of the saints. What? For the setting in order. For the mending of the broken is basically what you can take there. The, the pastor's role is to equip you, is to guide you in your life so that you mend your brokenness. Isn't that? That's, that's kind of puts a whole new spin on things, doesn't it? Because first of all, we need to recognize we're broken and that there's a purpose for church, isn't there? 
So here's what he goes on. He says, the intention of the gifts was to equip. Here's the nature of equipping. Believers are equipped to carry out ministry. So the pastor's task then, or one of these other offices' task, is to set in order to men to, to set like a broken bone our lives so that we in turn can then be able to do what? Ministry. Service. Another word for ministry there could be service. Because usually when we think in terms of ministry, we think in terms of full-time ministry. Which, can I remind you, is not in the Bible. There is no full-time, this is what full-time, you're not going to see that there. Okay? There's offices, and then it talks about that those who are in those offices are worthy of, their, of, of the hire, or they're worthy of what is given to them. But as far as ministry being delineated from, there's this kind of ministry and then there's full-time ministry. That's really not in the Bible. Because we're all to minister. We're all to, if we have the right term for what ministry is, ministry means what? Service. We're all to serve. Okay? We're all to serve. So believers are equipped, they're set in order, their broken lives are set in order, in order for them to serve others. Now here's what the ministry is. So you can say, well, what's, the, what's this ministry? Okay, verse 12, last part of it. The ministry of believers is to build up the body of Christ. So, you are then to, you're being equipped so that you can then, in turn, build up the body of Christ. Now how do you do that? Serving, being there for each other, encouragement, using your gifts. Do you understand what I'm saying? See, see that. See what God, Jesus is doing here. He gives some. He gives. He gives. He gives a teacher or teachers. That's what elders are to the church, and they're to set in order, mend your broken lives so that you in turn can do service, so that everybody else benefits. That's a pretty good way to do it, isn't it? But let's be honest, if we think about how we've run church a lot over the years, you know, I've been a believer 26 years, some of you have been, some of you have been going to church a whole lot longer than I've been a Christian, you think about it, who was doing all, we only had a few people doing all the work, the rest of us were just told to sit there and give something. Not something, give 10%. Isn't that true? So the reality is, is that, that that really is missing with the model. Jesus is saying, I've equipped you, and I'm given certain gifts so that what? You're set in order so that you can, what? Do ministry so that everybody benefits because you're doing what you're doing. Not just one guy. You know what the greatest testimony to a church is? Can I be honest with you? What the greatest testimony to a church is? I've seen it only a few times. The greatest testimony to a church is when the preacher dies or leaves, they're still growing even without a preacher. Do you know what I'm saying? The saddest testimony to a church is is when the preacher dies or leaves, everything falls apart and they can't function until they get the next preacher. 
the greatest testimony for a church is, is that even without their preacher, their pastor, they continue on, people are still coming, people are still growing, people are being benefited. Why? Because everybody's doing their job. Everybody's serving. You know what I'm saying? When you've got a church where their whole focus is, we've got to just get another, get another preacher, I've seen churches like that. I've candidated in churches like that. Well, once we get our preacher, everything will be okay. No, it won't. You've got to lose that attitude. It's once you get your lives mended and set in order and do ministry, then it will be okay for everybody else. See, the greatest testimony for a church is you doing it. You understand? The greatest testimony for Kerwinsville Christian Church is not what I do now. It's what you do later after I'm gone. Do you know what I mean? I don't even want to think about it. I don't want to think about it either, but I'm just telling you. Do you see what I'm saying? This is what Paul's talking about. His whole purpose is the gifts were given so that you would benefit, so that you could minister to each other. And aren't you glad he gives gifts and gifts? Because some of you, maybe your, your, your things are tough right now. The last thing you need is somebody like a prophet coming up and saying, well, you know what, the reason why you're going through this is because you did this. You already know what you did. You want the guy to come alongside and say, hey, man, I'll pray for you. And you know what? He gives both gifts to the church. Aren't you glad? Some of you are saying, yeah, but the prophets, please stay away from me today. Yeah, we understand that too. See, the ministry of the believers is to build up the body of Christ. Now, here's, here's the purpose. Okay, so here's the areas of education. Here's what we're supposed to do. Here's how we build up. First of all, we're to strive for unity in the faith and knowledge. So the reason why we do what we do is not that we look good. Or that, or that everybody thinks, oh, well, you know, the sun sets on me, and if I'm not here, nothing's going to happen. That's not why the reason why we're doing what we're doing. The reason why we're doing what we're doing is so that we can have what? Unity! And what are we unified on? We just talked about it last week. Jesus. Not politics. Not labor. Not the Steelers. It's Jesus. And so we're going to do what we can to build up the body, to be unified in that, and be unified in knowledge. What? Now, let me stop for a moment. That word knowledge there is a, that, that we're to do all what we're doing so everybody here becomes an egghead. That's not what it's talking about. What it means is, is that every one of you has an experiential knowledge of Jesus, which only comes through what? A relationship with him. That's our purpose. You know what? I'll be honest with you. People who come up to me flaunting their theological knowledge, and I have people who do that. Thankfully, they're not in our church. But I have people who do that. They'll come up and they'll, they'll flaunt their theological knowledge. I, I'm, I'm, I, here's what I do. First thing I think, oh, Lord, thank you they don't go to our church. I'm just being honest with you. Because here's the thing. If they were sitting in my church, I would feel like a failure as a pastor. 
Because I'm not helping them to grow in their relationship with Jesus. I'm just feeding their knowledge. Do you understand what I'm saying? We don't need people whose knowledges are fed. We need people who know Jesus, not know about him. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is what our purpose is. Our purpose here is that we become unified and that all of us grow in our relationship with Jesus. Period. And let me just say, it's baby steps, isn't it? Baby steps. Let's, let's go on because we've got to get through this. Here's what we're doing. We want to seek maturity. First of all, we want to be grown up. We are to strive to be like Christ as we mature in our maturity as believers. We're to strive to... To be like Christ in our maturity as believers. We're to grow up in Jesus, folks. Here's the other thing. We're not to be gullible. As we mature, we we will no longer be deceived by false teaching. That's what it talks about there, about being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. You know what? As you grow up, as you mature in your relationship with Jesus, as you mature as as a part of the body, you're not going to worry about some guy who predicts that the end of the world's coming May 21st. You're going to look at that and say he's off his rocker. Then comes back and says it's already happened, but it's really going to happen on October 21st. You know, I'd rather believe that there's going to be a problem in August with the budget and the debt ceiling than worrying about whether or not Jesus is coming back in October. That's more real than that. And you're not going to be gullible about it. Do you understand? This is the point. We, we're going to build each other up so everybody's matured, so you're not waiting on October 24. Come give me Jesus. So then here's the other thing, the basis for edification. As we deal... With each other in love, we mature in Jesus. We mature in Christ. As we deal with each other in love, we mature in Christ. Because one thing I already tell you, here's one of the part of maturity, you become very patient. When you deal with people, you become patient, don't you? And the more you deal with them, you become patient. So here's the source. Here's the source of the edification. Jesus Christ is the source of growth in the body. This is why we're here. We're to grow in Jesus. Okay. Let's close our time.